don't know how you felt with First John, but it's, uh, it's been good for me, but it's also been challenging. It kind of beats you up, what he says. Some of the same things over and over, and none of them are easy to hear. So um, I don't know if that's been the case for you, but certainly has been convicting for me. A couple of housekeeping things. Um, communion cups are on the back table. Forgot to mention those. We're not, we'll take communion after the sermon, but we won't distribute the elements because of COVID, so feel free to grab those at some point, as well as there are coloring sheets on the back table uh, for the kids if they would like to take notes during this time. Um, that would be a helpful thing for you to have. Um, next week, so we're going to make a, a hard, sharp turn here. We'll move from our book of 1 John, and we will study the book of Ecclesiastes next. So we'll go to the Old Testament. We try to give a variation of old and new, and uh, for all that First John is in its, uh, its very concrete thoughts and principles, Ecclesiastes is not that. So if you are an abstract thinker, uh, we're, we're coming at you next week, right up your alley, with Ecclesiastes. I, I, we, Brian and I are going to preach it with fear and trembling as it's not an easy book, and yet it speaks so much to kind of life. Life and the chaos, life and the questions of like, what are we here, what are we doing? Hopefully it'll be helpful for you uh, as it is for me. Would you please stand as we hear God's word? We're going to read uh, 1 John 5, 13 to the end, and verse 21. John says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is God's word. You, you may be seated. Um, Final words are lasting words. Um, what you say at the end matters. I mentioned uh, Luan and uh, the, the passing of, of her uncle. I believe she was able to see him briefly before he died. And some of you, I know others, have had lost loved ones recently. And, you know, if you get a chance at the bedside to see them at the end, you know, you, you, what do you say to them? You say, you, you know, I love you. <laughs> you've, uh, you you've impacted me. Um, as I see Natalie up there. You used to see... Uh, the, the pain of that, to be able to say something final to them. But, but, but what do they say to you? you know, what, what if you uh, were at, at your end and you had loved ones around you? What would you say? You would certainly say, I love you. Um, as a believer, it would be something about, like, look to the Lord. You know, he, he's your hope. He's your comfort. He's your confidence. Uh, though I'm passing away, I'll, I want you to, to stay steadfast, to follow, to look. Um, we said this all along, but John has taken the approach of a father in this whole letter. He said over and over, little children, my, my dear little ones, 
You know, it could be kind of like, okay, is John talking down to us? But he's this is the apostle. He was with Jesus. He's seen Jesus. He's touched Jesus. He's walked with Jesus. He's been with him. And now he's talking to this church. And, and they're struggling. There's false teachers that are trying to mislead them. They're being tempted to walk away. They're struggling to love. They, they don't love very well. Um, they have moral issues and moral failures. Um, and John says, little children. And I'm going I'm to give you this fatherly word. And so this is what John concludes with, lasting words, uh, or important words. And it's words of confidence. He gives them words of confidence. There's a few theological things that they were going to have to work through. But, but overall, the theme is this idea of confidence. To be confident, to be assured. What does John want them to be confident in? First, he wants them to be confident to know. To know, you notice he says it seven times in this passage, to know. We know, want you to know, to know, to know. And here knowing, um, like often in the New Testament, is not just a head knowledge, right? It's a sense of experiencing, it's to know within. It's sort of a, a soulful sense of to, to uh, experience intimately and personally. And the primary thing he wants us to know is our assurance of salvation. Look what he says in first, verse 13. I write these things to you. In many ways, he's summarizing the whole book. To those who believe in the name of the Son of God, to those who follow me or follow Christ, to those who are Christians, why have I written all this to Christians? That you may know with confidence that you may know that you have eternal life. John doesn't want us uncertain. Um, John doesn't want us how I I grew up in, in my theological circles. And I remember... Being at bed at night as a 14, 15, 16 year old, I've told you this, worrying, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Am I enough? What about that thing I did? What about that? Oh man, Is God, can God forgive that? There's a sense of guilt and burden carried with you, lacking a sense of confidence. Um, John uh, wants us to know. Jesus wants to bring peace and comfort. Now, some of you need to know that right now, right? In the storms of life and the difficulty. You need to know that you have eternal life. I remember in college, I was a senior uh, at South Alabama, and I was uh, involved in a campus ministry, and uh, I met this guy, Omar, who became a good friend. Omar was the, uh, the student, uh, the director, the leader, uh, president of the Muslim Student Association on campus. And Omar and I became good friends, and he and I probably weekly would skip class um, to go talk theology. So you have this Christian leader, and you have this Muslim. I don't encourage that kids to go to class, and you need to go to class. Um, but we, we, would, uh, we would leave class, and we're like, let's just go. We'd go get coffee, and we would talk theology, you know. And if you've talked to Muslims before, it, it's about the Trinity. It uh, becomes about the nature of Jesus. Um, it comes about all these things. But somewhere along the line, it would end up kind of in the same place. Um, it would end up, well, well Omar, how, how do you know that you'll be in heaven, right? How do you know that you have eternal life? And, and he was devout, and he, he kept the five pillars, and he prayed three times a day or five times a day. He, he, he did all the things, and he would say, you can't know. You, you go to heaven if you die a good Muslim. And I said, well, well gosh, that's, there's no certainty, there's no assurance. And he says, well... Yeah, but that, that keeps me motivated. I, I said, well, what about if you had a bad last week or, you know, the last day? You know, what if you, you, were, you were losing it at the end and you unra-? And he would just be, uh, well, 
Only God knows, right? Only God knows. And he would, I said, well, man, how, how can you live like that? He goes, well, how can you not live like that? He said, not knowing motivates us to do good works, to live a good life. There's uncertainty, so we work harder, we strive more. And he says, and you Christians, you, you say you can know with certainty, right? Um, that, that you have eternal life. And, and in some ways, he was envious of me that I would say that. But he said, it, that can't be true. Because if you knew you had eternal life, then what? What's the argument? Paul makes the same thing. You just do whatever you want, right? We're free. We're in. Let's party. Let's do whatever we want. Let's live for this life. So he was motivated to live a good life, to die a good Muslim, to have eternal life. But Scripture says, John says, God wants us to know right now as believers that we have eternal life with confidence and with assurance. Um, this is why, verse 18 and 19. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he, was, but he who was born of God protects him, God protects him, and the evil one does not harm him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Here the world can be used as, you know, God so loved the world, it can also be used as the flesh. The world is that sense of sin has reigned, the flesh. So here it says that the world is evil, that there's sin in the world, the systems are against us, uh, they're contrary to God's rule, God's law, God's desire. But if you were born of God, which is Christians, he's been saying we're born again, right? The Spirit of God says we're protected. That God covers us. That God cares for us. That the whole world and evil cannot touch him because we belong to God. And so we're safe. We're secure. We're founded in Him. We're motivated to obey by knowing with confidence God's care and God's goodness. When you know God's goodness and care and God's protection, you don't sit back and say, now we can do whatever we want. We say, no, now we live in obedience to follow Him. This is hard because um, some of us, all of us, we've known harm, right? We're like, well, what about the people that died from the last storm or this storm? If someone, I don't know if someone died or not. You know, what did God protect them? Or what about my family member that just died because of X, Y, and Z? There is harm. We've all been harmed. We've been marked by that. And John's not saying we won't have harm. John's saying that we can know with confidence that through this life, though it may be painful and will be, that there is eternal life. That life has begun today in Christ that it will never end in him. Can you believe that? That though we die in the body, we will never die eternally. We can know with confidence in that, despite the challenges and the difficulty and the suffering. That's what he's speaking of. It's not a carefree life. It's not a health wealth. Everything's going to go wonderful. But it's that we can lay our head on our pillow knowing that we have confidence, that we are secure in the Lord See, my friend Omar was resting on what he did, on how good of a Muslim he was. Boy, if we rested on how good of a Christian we are, we would have very little confidence, right? Maybe one day we'd feel pretty good, but the next day we'd feel awful. 
but we rest in the confidence of what Jesus has done for us, and His record is perfect. Do you know, um, do you know assurance? I know many of you, I've had conversations you wrestle with assurance of salvation. Do you know? Do you know with confidence? John wants you, the very last thing he says, he wants you to know with confidence. Not only confidence to know, but confidence to pray. In many ways, prayer is a result of it. When you know that you're in Christ and you're secure, you're now confident to pray. You're confident to, to go to God and to request. He says this in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. We have confidence. Literally, the word confidence means boldness of speech. Does that sound odd? Like, I mean, in some ways I understood Omar, like, to say to God, we can go to God with confidence, like, you have to hear me. You are bound to hear my request. But that's actually the position we have as Christians, because God's bound himself to us in Christ. Remember, we're in Christ, we're hidden in Christ. We're in union with Christ. So God has pledged himself to hear us and to answer us in his way. Um, when God's our Father, we can ask, do you, do you know little children, you know, uh, a little five-year-old comes in his father's lap and jumps in his lap, and they ask all kind of crazy things, right? And there's freedom to ask, to dream, to explore. Now, a good father doesn't give them everything they want, right? You don't get Skittles for dinner every night. Maybe occasionally, Right? You don't do, a good father doesn't give that, but a child that's loved, that's secure, that's safe in the world, right? We're in the world, not of it. We're secure, we're guarded by him. We can ask, and he gives. And sometimes um, we can ask anything. It's this caveat. It says, according to his will. Um, what do you do when you hear that? <laughs> and Michael and I have had this conversation. What do you do when you hear that? According to his will. You're like, oh, there it is, right? I was going to ask for really cool stuff according to his will. Okay, right? <laughs> it sort of puts it back in line. It, 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 some of us have a cynical heart, and, and there's sort of an eye roll. And they're like, okay. But it really curbs our heart, doesn't it? It checks us. Because if we belong to Christ, we really want what God wants for us. So prayer serves to mold our hearts to the things that are lovely, that are good, that God desires for us. Listen to what John Sott says about prayer and this whole idea of according to his will. Prayer is not a convenient device for, our, for imposing our will upon God or even for bending his will to ours, but it is the prescribed way of subordinating our will to his. We're praying for something, but in doing it, our heart is submitting to him as a good father. It is by prayer that we seek God's will. We embrace it and we align ourselves with it. Every prayer is a variation on the theme, your will be done. When you trust that the father's good, that his heart is right, you can ask for anything, but you know ultimately what you want is that which he wants to give you that is best and good. So pray big, so pray bold, pray confidently, trusting that he will give that which is good. It doesn't feel that way sometimes. It doesn't feel that way. We beg for things and we get broken hearts. It pushes us, it challenges us, it stretches us in our, in our hearts. 
Um, but we need to be childlike. Some of us have grown old, as C.S. Lewis says, right? We've gotten old. And we may be 23, but we've gotten old. And we need to be childlike. To know confidence that God loves us is to crawl back in his lap, even with a cynic's heart, even when we feel burned, even when we feel like, yeah, but we've prayed it a hundred times. He doesn't care, and we ask again, and we ask again, like the kid that just asks and asks and asks and asks and asks and asks and asks. It's confidence to pray. Um, we can pray anything, it says. And we know he hears us. We know he's going to answer us, e- even in his own way, but we still ask. But we also, this is tough, it says we pray, we pray for others, we pray for fellow believers. Listen to this. John throws us a curveball theologically here at the end. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. So we're praying for a brother. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Let's be clear. All sin is wrongdoing, he says. Romans is clear that the wages of sin is death. All sin is deserving of death. But here the focus shifts from uh, just petition, asking whatever we want, to intercession. To to actually, I'm going to go before God and pray for you. Or you're going to pray for me. We're going to pray for one another. And in that category, in in that intercession, he makes the distinction between two groups of people. One of them he calls uh, a brother. Um, here we would say those that, that maybe uh, ha- are in Christ that are believers, but we might use the term backslidden. Or it says they're committing sin. It's like they're in a particular sin. They're struggling. And so we see that. That's one category. He calls them a brother. The other category doesn't call them a brother. We, assumably they're a non-believer. There's those that, have, that are committing sin, it says, leads to death, that, that their heart has become hardened, that they've become entangled with sin. Here we think John's speaking of the false teachers. Not only were they sinning, but now they were teaching false things and they were trying to take God's people away from the truth and allure them. Their hearts had become so hard they were pulling others toward wickedness and to evil. So there's two categories he seems to be distinguishing. The first group, the struggler, the believer that's in sin, it's a mark to us with confidence before God to know he loves us. We do what? We pray for one another. Are we of that kind of community? Do we do that? Do we hear someone struggling? Do we say, well, do we, do we judge? Do we talk about? Or do we pray for them? Do we go to them? Do we pray with them? Do we, do we connect? Do we seek? Do we love? Do we pray? Seems to be pray for them, he says. We go and ask. Is our response that... First um, John earlier says that if we say we have not sinned, we're a liar, right? So we know we're all sinners. The, the, the playing field is even. So we don't say, man, look at that guy sinning over there. I wish they would stop. Man, they sure are struggling. So the, the, they, they're reflective of my heart. What I do, and I see them struggling, let's pray for them. Let's engage. Why do we do that? Why is this sin not leading to death? Because as a believer, there is a covering. We've heard the word propitiation numerous times. Jesus has covered our sins. They belong to Christ, right? You can't punish Christ and them, so they're covered. They're in Him. It's been taken care of. It's not going to lead to death because Christ died for them. 
We pray for them, yet there's another category, those that their heart has become so hard and so wayward that they're leading others. He says a sin that leads to death. Here we might think of the example of Judas. I mean, could you give Judas any more evidence? He's been with Jesus. He's walked with Jesus. He's in the upper room, the last supper with Jesus. He's seen the miracles. He's heard the teaching. And Jesus says, what at the end? Go and do what you're going to do, Judas. His heart is so calloused, just so hard. And he's gone, and he does what he does. He right, betrays him. Betrays the Lord. Um, it's that kind of idea. Boy, that's hard for us to distinguish, right? It, it, there's this hardness of heart or evil in a way that's, that's, that's really divisive, that's killing, that's destroying, that's evil. It's not struggle. It's wickedness and evil. And here he gives this sort of freedom. He says, there is sin that leads to death. And I do not say that one should pray for that. It's interesting, isn't it? He didn't say don't pray, but he says, listen, um, pray. Jesus says we love our enemies, right? We pray for those. But when those that are committed to wickedness and to evil and to lead astray, he's saying, look, we, we move on in some sense. Pray, and yet he doesn't bind our conscience to them. He gives a freedom, a freedom to, to engage uh, those that are struggling. It says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's hard to say. That's hard to deal with, right? It's difficult. One group, believer, pray God would restore, God would bring to life. Another group, hardened. Jesus seems to be referring to this with the whole blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You heard of that language? It's not one particular sin and they, that you committed it and it's over. That's not what he's referring to, I don't believe. It's the sin of not being repentant. You've talked to the false teacher. You've talked to them about their sin. And there's a refusal to engage. It's a hardness of heart. The only sin that leads to death is the one that doesn't bend the knee to Jesus. So we... Uh, we have confidence to pray for brothers and sisters in Christ. We have confidence to pray for anything, to ask our Father who cares, who knows, to pray for those that have need, for those that are struggling. Finally, we pray not only to know, or, or we, we have confidence not only to know, not only confidence to pray, but we have confidence to fight. Um, John is, is constantly done assurance and mourning assurance and mourning the whole letter and he's consistent at the very end verse 18 we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning and then 21 it's like this mic drop you know he says all these things little children keep yourself from idols boom that's it <laughs> it, it seems really out of place it's, it's, it's really a weird ending to a letter and yet it's kind of consistent with how John has operated the whole time my little ones, let me give you the fatherly advice. Keep yourself from idol. The verse before says this. This is what he just said. Listen to this. And we know that the Son of God has come. He said that the whole letter. And he has given us understanding. He has given us light. So that we may know him who is true. We may know him have a relationship. And we are in him. That's the union with Christ. We belong to him. He belongs to us. We are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. This is who he is. This is the magnitude of what I've told you for five chapters about who God is and who you are in Christ. 
Therefore, my little ones, my last exhortation, keep yourself from idols. It's the language of the keep, is to, it's a military term. To guard, to keep, to protect. Your heart is being allured by false teachers, by the world, by the systems. Jesus has done this for you. You are in him. Keep yourself from idols. Um, this is what it means to be a Christian. My friend Omar, I tried to explain to him that um, we, we don't obey God. It's not a checklist like we do these and we're in. It's, it's not how it works. The, the, no one's motivated by the law in that way. We don't do that. Um, we're motivated, but Christ has done it for us. He kept it for us. And if we believe that and know that, that motivates us to want to live in a way that honors him and glorifies him. Have you had this experience? Maybe it was your, your favorite coach. Uh, I, I would imagine this with Coach Knapp. I'll pick on him. Like, Coach Knapp, knowing his players, he loves them. His heart's for them, right? He cares for them. He's, he's tough. He's competitive. But his guys know that he loves them, that he believes in them. And you know what? Do they, do they go out there and be like, just another game, no big deal. What do they do? Right? They scrap and they play. They, they, they dive for the loose ball. You know, all, all you athletes I see over here, Patrick over there, right? Coach Malzahn, right? Did you play hard for him? Right? Right? When, you, when, you, when you know a coach like that, I remember my favorite seminary professor. He was so difficult, but I knew his love, his care. And so I worked so hard, not so he would like be my friend and love me, but because I loved him. Because I knew his love, I knew his care. I knew about my high school football coach, so I gave it my all, right? That pales in comparison, but you get the idea, right? When you know love like that, you sacrifice, you give yourself. You say, yeah, I'm tempted by this idol, I'm I'm allured to love other things, but the God of the universe loves me in such a way, I'm going to fight again. I say fight because we don't do it perfectly, right? We struggle. But we fight to keep from idols. To keep ourselves from idols. Um, you know, the Ten Commandments begin this way. The first two, you know, uh, you know to, to, to have no other gods before me. And then to have no, no idols, no graven images, right? Don't do this and don't do that. What does it start with? How does the, the Ten Commandments start? I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I rescued you. I saved you. You're mine. You belong to me. You're my possession to be loved and cared for. Therefore, here's ten things that are going to bring life and goodness. Don't don't worship other gods. When you go into the promised land, there are going to be gods everywhere. There's Baal. There's the Asheroth. There's the high places. You're going to be allured by the sun god and all the... Don't do that. Get the idols out of there. They're going to destroy you. Worship me. You belong to me and I to you. That's the gospel. That's the idols. If you go today to Thailand, you know, you're going to see people go into Buddhist temples and they're going to bow down, some of you have seen this, to literal stone images of Buddha, right? Other parts of Africa, they bow down to objects. They made them in some factory. They erected them and they bowed down to them. It's crazy. They're like, oh, we we would never do that. That's crazy. (laughs) We're Americans. But we have so many idols, don't we? What are yours? Michael brought it up during the, the, you know, having power. What allures your heart? What do you want to worship? Where do you forget the gospel? Is it success? Is it money? Is it food? Is it drink? Is it sex? 
Is it reputation? Is it power? Is it good things? Is it family? Is it your iPhone? Is it your car? Is it what everybody thinks about you? Look, I've, he says, I've told you the gospel. I've told you the gospel. If you know it, there's confidence to engage the fight again. We're strugglers, but we engage, we fight, we keep up. What's the goal? The goal is wholeheartedness. The goal is to live as Jesus has called us to live. Um, summary, John has uh, assured us, assured us um, of salvation. Romans says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. John's told us he is, God is light. He is pure light. And he has been our propitiation, our sacrifice, our covering. We're so secure in him, we could not be any less secure. Power, no power, if this storm would have taken us all out, if we were in Christ, we are secure in Christ. It says that we have eternal life, not just now, but forever in him. And then it says because of that, we're to be lovers. We're to love one another. We're to love him. We're to take the things of our idols that are, we're tempted to love more and we're to fight against them. We're to pray and ask for God's care and God's help. That's First John. That's the book. That's the gospel. Let's live with confidence in him that we may love and serve the world. Let's pray. Jesus, uh,